Good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the senior pastor here. If you've noticed, I'm singing bass today. And um, I've been struggling with a little bit of head cold the past couple of uh, days and uh, uh, grateful for uh, that uh, down in the river because I really got to hit those bass notes. So (laughs) I hope those around me enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed singing it. Hey, uh, over the next couple of uh, months, it's going to be busy, isn't it? I mean, uh, the uh, Christmas catalog arrived at our house the day after Halloween, and it's already ripped apart, pages folded and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, as we head into November, uh, Mr. Turkey has to compete with Mr. Santa Claus and uh, all those sorts of things. You know, uh, I've been, next year will be 25 years that I've been preaching, and for 25 years I have every year gotten complaints, why aren't we talking about Christmas in December? Because in December, in the life of the church, it's Advent. And Advent is a time and a season to uh, focus on the second coming of Jesus as we prepare for the first coming of Jesus, Christmas. But y'all and Christians like you throughout the world will have nothing of it. We're sick of that. We're tired of it. We want to sing Christmas carols uh, in December. And so uh, after 25 years, I'm giving in just a little bit. And uh, so, uh, but thinking about uh, Advent themes of the return of Christ and the great consummation of our faith with Christ coming to establish his kingdom of perfect justice and perfect peace. Uh, So a lot of churches this year uh, started by one particular denomination. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not up here to give advertisement to other churches. So, uh, but... uh, uh, we're going to be looking at some Advent themes, some, some returning of Christ themes in November leading up to Thanksgiving. We celebrate Thanksgiving every week. This is a table of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving for the gift of Jesus Christ. And then when we hit Advent, uh, December, we'll be focusing on uh, the incarnation. That is, is when God became flesh, when he clothed himself with flesh. And the staff and volunteers have been working hard to prepare what we think and what we pray will be a wonderful celebration leading up to the Feast of the Nativity, Christmas, uh, this year. Um, And all of this begins with All Saints Sunday, which is today. And uh, I'm always intrigued when I come to Christian churches throughout the United States because Pastor Drew said, I didn't really see that not many of you raised your hands. Uh, I grew up in the Christian church, and we celebrated All Saints Sunday every year. And in almost every church I've been in, we've celebrated uh, All Saints and uh, I, uh, where have you guys been? And uh, one of those celebrations has uh, been uh, lighting candles in, in memory of our departed ones, our family members, because for the church, All Saints Day, All Saints Sunday is the Memorial Day of the Christian faith. And I'm always intrigued at churches that celebrate Memorial Day to remember their loved ones who've died. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you do. But for Christians, that day for thousands of years, has been ensconced in All Saints Sunday, which is today. And so I want to take a little bit of time, and I'm going to talk about All Saints Sunday today. And uh, the, the, the church gives us a couple of readings uh, to focus on All Saints Sunday. And this year, the suggested text is from Luke, Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to turn to Luke chapter 6. In your notes, in your bulletin, there's also Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. I'd encourage you to read that as a supporting text uh, to uh, this gospel lesson. I'm I'm not necessarily going to preach on it. Uh, Pastor Drew and Pastor Joe said, I really need to limit my sermons to 45 minutes. 
And uh, some of you, it took a, took a while. Uh, so, uh, and some of the visitors are like, seriously? So, no, not seriously. I've never gone over 44. But um, <laughs> Luke chapter 6, verse 17. If anybody walks out, we, just we're kidding, please. Verse 17 in Luke chapter 6. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed art you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Well, that's just a great day to start off your Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> May God add his blessing, his wisdom, his Holy Spirit to the reading and proclamation of his word. Amen. So you probably have heard of the word Halloween. Halloween is, uh, unfortunately, in our modern-day culture, viewed as a pagan or satanic holiday. And the irony is, is, is that if you're a student of language or a student of history, you know that that really couldn't be further from the truth. The word Halloween, the word itself, Halloween, is really an old English word for all Hallows' Eve. And it was the celebration prior to All Hallows' Day or All Saints' Day. Now, it did replace a pagan celebration when the Christians went into the world and arrived in what is today the British Isles, and they saw this celebration of a holiday called Sawan, a celebration of the dead. And the Christians said, we have something similar to that. Uh, and it's called All Saints Day, or All Hallows Day. You see, most folks don't realize that for the first 400 years of the church's existence, it was not seemly for Christians to celebrate their birthday. Because birthdays were things that the pagans in Rome did. And by goodness, the church wasn't going to do anything that the pagans in Rome did. And of course, over the centuries, we now have appropriated birthdays, and I'm always intrigued when we're at church gatherings and somebody sings happy birthday, because I'm pretty sure that the first couple of hundred years, the Christians would have just turned over in their graves. 
There's lots of other uh, see, things and traditions that we do today that we've Christianized that in the first couple of centuries of the church would have been viewed as unseemly for Christians. But for Christians, it was important not to celebrate one's birth, but it was important to celebrate one's death. Now that may seem odd to some of us, but for Christians, physical death was the moment we were translated into eternal life. And so for the Christian, it was a great day of celebration. And so All Saints Day, or All Hallows Day, was the day that Christians remembered the death of all believers, especially those who had lived exemplary lives or had died as martyrs. Now some people say that it is only those who have lived more of their life than they have left, y'all know what I'm saying? That think about something called their legacy. That is, how will you be remembered? Now, I'm not really sure that's altogether true because when I graduated high school, we were more interested, and when I say we, I mean I, I was more interested in whether or not my record of sacks playing football would ever be broken again. Who cares who the valedictorian is? I just wanted to make sure my record wasn't broken. And if you're honest with yourselves, our whole culture is based on competition. How many sales did I make this quarter? How many days our company went injury-free? To some degree, even in the church, legacy matters. Which year did South Suburban Christian Church enjoy the largest attendance or the largest number of baptisms? Which Sunday brought in the most new believers into the life of the church? Even in Christian culture, we're concerned about legacy because we spend all of this time thinking about which church is the largest church in the nation or which is the largest church in our state or in our community. The idea that our good deeds need to outweigh our bad deeds as the criterion for getting into heaven is pervasive in our culture. Even in Christian culture, not to mention that this idea is completely contrary to the revelation of Scripture. We don't get, just so there's no confusion, we don't get into heaven because our good deed column is longer than our bad deed column. But even in the midst of all of that, how will you be remembered as a saint? Now, we use that phrase all the time. She was a saint, he was a saint. And you might say to yourself, I don't know if I can be a saint. Well, let's think about some of the saints in our life. You probably know this saint, right? <laughs> Drew Brees with, uh, that's not the photo I gave to you, Austin. I, I, really, I really don't like that photo. Uh, as you may know, he's a quarterback for the uh, championship New Orleans Saints. Anyway, let's go on to the next slide. How about this saint? How did he get into this slideshow twice? So all these slides now are, be are, are one behind. Okay. Y'all know this saint, right? <clears throat> By the way, Austin is a New England Patriots fan. See, they're coming after you, big dog. Everybody knows who this woman is, the Roman Catholic nun who dedicated her life to the poor in Calcutta. She's a saint that everyone loves. I don't care if you're Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Protestant, for that matter, 
Muslims, Hindus, and even atheists like this woman. Maybe this saint is somebody that you know. If you don't recognize the stained glass of him, if I give you some hints, his day is celebrated on March 17th. 13 million pints of Guinness beer are consumed on his day. <laughs> and we spend $5.3 billion on beer that day. Who is this saint? How do y'all know that? <laughs> By the way, St. Patrick is actually, even though he's the patron saint of Ireland, he's actually Scottish, or as I like to say, Scottish. And the patron saint of Scotland is this guy, St. Andrew. St. Andrew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he was a brother to none other than St. Peter. Uh, he is uh, actually uh, represented by the transverse or X-shaped cross, which finds itself on the, one of the Scottish flags, because that's how he was martyred, that's how he was executed, on an X-shaped cross. It took him three days to die, and the accounts of his death were that he preached the gospel to his executors the whole time. I like St. Andrew. He's a good friend of mine. You might know this saint. This is St. Nicholas of Myra. He is the patron saint of children and sailors. Sailors back in olden days were called sons of Nicholas, or in the British Isles, Nichols' sons. For all of you who are named Smith and Thatcher, you know where that goes. He's a favorite of mine since my family carries his name. His day of remembrance is December 6th, just coming up. And ironically, it is the day that my father died. You may know St. Nicholas of Myra's shortened name because since his day of remembrance is close to December 25th, you may recognize him more accurately in this form. At least my children do, and I bet yours do as well. But how does the Bible define a saint? And for that, I want us to look for just a few moments at a portion of the text that I read to you today. The text that I read to you is called the Beatitudes. Now, you might have been thinking as it was read, well, that sounds familiar to the Beatitudes that I grew up memorizing and knowing, but it's really not exactly the same, and that's true because... The Beatitudes are found twice in your New Testament. They're found first in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And that's the perhaps more popular version of the Beatitudes and the more popular sermon when we talk about Jesus' big major sermon. And pretty much a significant part of the first part of Matthew of Jesus' teaching is the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke... Some of the sermon is different, some of it's the same, but in Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plains. Now, that might be something interesting for you to focus your private devotion this coming week on, looking at the two lists of the Beatitudes. Some scholars say that they were two different sermons in two different places. Other scholars say that it's the same sermon with two different perspectives and that Matthew gives Jesus' sermon a little bit more detail that Luke doesn't include. Either way, I don't really care. Why? Because they're both in Scripture, Scripture's inspired, and so therefore it's appropriate for us to focus on this sermon as well as the one found in Matthew. 
Luke begins by telling us who showed up for the sermon. He tells us where they came from as Jesus begins his message with a series of blessings and unlike in Matthew, a list of woes. Now, it's interesting how these blessings and these woes parallel with each other. I'm sure you picked up on it almost immediately. And although each of these blessings and woes would be good for us to spend time with, I really want to try to use them more to set this in context as we think about your sainthood. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, those who weep, and those who are hated. They're pretty tough words. Now, poor here isn't just someone having trouble making ends meet. This is someone who is so poor that they're forced to beg. This is poverty to the nth degree. This is poverty that has gone beyond the veil of human dignity. Those who are hungry, here again, it's, it's not that you just have some pangs and want to go get something to eat. This is that you no longer care what others think about uh, you or, or even your own self-worth. You're hungry. Perhaps even a better understanding of this word is this is as if your children are dying of hunger. You will do anything to satiate that need because it's not just a matter of uncomfortableness or inconvenience. It is a matter of living or dying. Just a few years ago in 2015 in Italy, the Supreme Court of Italy handed down a decision that a homeless man who stole just enough food for a small meal had his conviction overturned. Why did he steal? Because he was hungry. He was so hungry that he thought he was going to die. That's the kind of hunger we're talking about. Weep. This is the kind of weeping when you are overwhelmed with emotion. This is the kind of weeping that cascades over you when you lose a child or lose a spouse. It is such a weight of grief and weeping that you simply cannot stand it. Hate it. You may have already guessed that where I'm going with this, this isn't just some dislike where you go the other way when you see somebody that you don't want to deal with. This is a visceral, detestable hate when you just simply can't stand the person. You're irritated that they're taking oxygen that is rightfully yours. When you are viewed as detestable, when you are hated viscerally by the world, because of the name of Christ that you carry, when others or the powers and authorities of the world would simply rather see you dead and forgotten, this, brothers and sisters, is what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are those who hate you and revile you. Now that hopefully sets the context. Now before we get to the woes, I want to go back for just a moment and look at who came to this sermon. In verse 17, 
a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon had come to where Jesus was given this sermon. From the text and from what scholars say, this sermon was probably given somewhere in or near Capernaum or Gennesaret or somewhere around uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so if we take that general area and we think about that, it is a four-day journey by foot from Sidon to where Jesus is preaching if you're a healthy person. Twice that for somebody who is older or sick. It would have taken about a week to journey from Jerusalem to near the Sea of Galilee for a healthy person. Two weeks if you were older or sick. For someone who is sick, this journey, this length of a journey, would have been a one-way ticket. When they left their home in Sidon, and they left their home in Jerusalem, they knew that if they didn't find what they were looking for when they got to Jesus, they would not be coming back. Did you know that the furthest you will ever be from a McDonald's in the United States is 115 miles? It actually has been identified by McDonald's. McDonald's has a name for it. It's called, are you ready, the McFurtherest Point. It is a spot between Meadow and Glad Valley, South Dakota. They actually have a spot right there. They need to put a sign there. It's on State Route 20. According to a 2017 survey, the majority of church-going Americans will only drive between 5 and 15 minutes to church. Now, I have in here in italics because I'm not sure if I... I wanted everybody to raise, how many, raise your hand. How many of you came longer than 15 minutes? You are God's elect. <laughs> I read another survey about a year ago that said that most Americans will drive between 30 and 90 minutes to work, but they refuse to drive over 10 minutes to do their shopping or go to restaurants. I don't know about the restaurant part. I, I, for a good restaurant, I'll go a long ways away. I don't think I need to say much about that, do I? You get where I'm going with this. The level of commitment, the level of need, the level of desire. Not only the need and desire of those folks inside and entire Judea and Jerusalem, but their confidence in who Jesus was drove them to what was a life-changing experience. Verse 18, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. They came to hear him. Now, this is important to me. My prayer every single week before I stand up behind this pulpit is that you will hear Jesus. Your faith needs to be in Jesus. Not me, not the other pastors, not the elders, not this congregation, but in Jesus. The word here in this text means not only the literal hearing, but it also carries a meaning of hearing God's voice so that God 
will birth faith in you. Now, this isn't something I made up. This is what Paul discusses when he talks about hearing the word in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. If you're taking notes, you can write that down and go look at it later. Romans 10, 17. To be healed. <coughs> Excuse me. These are folks who have recognized they need something. They need to hear a word of hope. They need to hear a word of courage. They need to be healed. They want to have life. They want to have strength. They, they want to have a future. And although that's all well and good, but what it really says about them is that they know where they can get these words. Only from Jesus. The Jesus who is a long, dangerous journey from their home. The Jesus whom they have heard healed the sick, who when he speaks, they hear deep within their hearts the words that lead to eternal life. Verse 19. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. These folks traveled as far as they did because they knew, and their faith was confirmed. Are you ready? These folks were saints, but not because they took a long, arduous journey. They were saints not because uh, they were able to do or believed in miracles or uh, they lived a life of good deeds or they had a life of holiness beyond the rest of us. These folks were saints because they recognized their vulnerability. Recognizing my vulnerability is what it means to be a saint. Recognizing that I don't have all the answers. That I am not the creator of hope. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being different. It's not about being particularly pious or particularly zealous. It's not about having all the answers or, or, or the ability to articulate the mysteries of Scripture persuasively, but to be vulnerable and out of that vulnerability, turning unto God in our need. That's what it means to be a saint. To be a saint means recognizing that God is the only one to whom you can go. That Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God, and it is he who has the words of life. But let's get to those woes. Woe to the rich, the fool, those who laugh, and those who are respected. Just like the blessed words that I unpacked for you just briefly earlier, these words are also packed with meaning. These words rich, full, laugh, respect, or as the original language uh, is really, think well of. These words just don't refer to folks who are able to pay their bills and have some money left over to take a vacation or two. These are folks who are swimming in their wealth. This, this uh, full people, another, I'm a little nervous about it. another way of translating this, this isn't just people who have eaten enough food and they've got some for lunch tomorrow at leftovers. These are people who are fat. That's a better way of, of translating that, people who are fat. 
Respect it. Respect it, as in those who live into the old adage, it isn't what you know, but who you know. Remember that? That is, woe to those who have come to a point in their life where they live in a false sense of security that they are the masters of their own life. Those folks that live under the illusion that they are not dependent upon God. The folks who want to pilot their own ships. Or worse still, now I'm going to stop preaching and commence to meddling. Those folks who ask Jesus to steer them through the storm, but when the seas are fair yet again, they say to Jesus, step aside, I can take it from here. That's those to whom the woes are being pronounced. Now look, vulnerability isn't something to be afraid of. Y'all probably know, and there may even be some of you here in this room, that never show sadness or grief. Psychologists tell us that those who suppress their emotions of grief and vulnerability are also numb from the capacity to feel joy, satisfaction, and happiness. That is, if you have a stiff upper lip in bad times, you're not really able to enjoy good times. So here's the gospel. You want to know the joy of following Christ? I encourage you to embrace the courage to come to Christ with your hands open and empty, knowing that you and I cannot bring anything to God, to defend ourselves, to win ourselves a place in his kingdom. There is nothing that you and I can bring that makes us righteous. But here's the good thing about those open hands, brothers and sisters. I'm almost done. When your hands are open, when your hands are empty, there's room enough for Christ to fill those hands with his grace and his mercy to make you a saint. Now, because the slides got mixed up, I can't get to the last slide. So would you put the last slide on? Because the answer to the question posed to you at the beginning of the service is what it means to be a saint is to be a follower of Jesus. That's why the Ephesians text is in there. Because repeatedly, letter after letter that Paul writes, he writes it to the saints at Ephesus, the saints at Philippi, the saints at Rome, the saints at Thessalonica. Yes, today, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. That's not how I define it. It's how the Bible defines it. And consequently, it is not I who gives you that title. It is Christ who has given you that title, a title which neither you nor I earned, but a Christ that Jesus earned for us. And so with that, happy All Saints Sunday. And now, saints, will you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for lifting us up. 
and making us heirs and co-heirs of Christ. Thank you for rescuing us out of the mud and mire of our brokenness, clothing us with a white robe, and declaring us a child of the Most High God. Thank you for all of those who have gone on before us, who lived their faith in the midst of degradation and hardship and gave to us the gospel undefiled. May we, O oh God, as your servant Jude reminded us, receive the faith once and for all given to the saints and offer that gift to those who come after us in the purity not of our works, but in the purity of your work on the cross and from that tomb and to the right hand of God the Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.